listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. I can't let up, I can't slow down, I can't back off, because if I do that, I will be dishonoring to God. If I do that, I'll be unfaithful to the teaching of God's Word, the Bible, and I can't do that. I have to be faithful to what the Bible teaches, and therefore, we have to address today one of the most important topics in all of the Bible, because it's one of the most important topics, one of the most important subjects to the very heart of God. And it's just as important, just as pertinent today as it was here as recorded in Luke chapter 14 when we look at how Jesus had an interaction again on a Sabbath, on a Saturday, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Blaming it on the wife again. 
So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Self-exaltation is the default mechanism of life. You don't have to do anything intentional to intentionally slip into self-exaltation. It's the default mechanism of life. Look with me at Luke 14, beginning in verse 1. One Sabbath... This is the fourth instance now where Jesus has performed a miraculous healing on the Sabbath. Luke is bringing to our attention that this was a particularly worrisome issue for the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, the teachers, the leaders of the nation of Israel, those who were in religious positions, spiritual positions of influence, particularly upset by Jesus performing miraculous signs and wonders on the Sabbath. And it seems to be an indication here, some have speculated that this man who had dropsy or inflammation of the joints due to water accumulation, fat ankles, fat knees, used to be called dropsy. Nowadays, it's called edema. Somebody who has an enlarged heart could have edema or what would, be called, would have been called back then dropsy. The physical condition where there's symptoms of the limbs getting swollen because of the accumulation of water. This person had something visibly, noticeably that you could see about them. Luke, the physician, takes note of it, calls out the condition and says, this is what we knew or what they would have known as dropsy. His limbs are swollen because of the accumulation of water. That's not the real issue. That was a symptom of a deeper issue. We know that today, 2,000 years after the fact, as medicine and science has advanced, we know that there was some other cause of the inflammation. But some have speculated that this person was planted there because they were watching Jesus carefully. They knew it was a Sabbath. They knew that Jesus had a history of healing people on the Sabbath. And now a man with an obvious physical ailment is there on the Sabbath, and Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing their minds. In verse 3, Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Cutting to the chase, what a leader Jesus is. There's an elephant in the room. No pun intended to the man with dropsy. There's an elephant in the room. And Jesus, being an excellent leader, recognizes the elephant. That's what a good leader does. Good leaders don't let elephants march all around as if nobody sees them. The fact of the matter is that many people often see the elephant. How can you miss an elephant in a room? It's massive. It's out of place. And a good leader recognizes an elephant in the room and is not afraid to address the elephant. This is something we would do well to learn a lesson from Jesus here in this nation. 
where we are afraid to recognize the elephant in the room. This is something that you would do well to begin practicing in your own family, recognizing the elephant in the room. When there is a problem, you bring it to the surface. When you observe something that everyone else sees but no one else is willing to speak about, you speak about it, you address it, you call it what it is, and you deal with the issue. That is what a good leader does. How do I know that? That's what Jesus does as the greatest of all leaders. We don't see the Pharisees or the lawyers or the scribes, the teachers of the law, bringing this issue up. We see Jesus bringing up the issue. Just like in the book of Job, when it is God who says to Satan, the accuser, have you seen my servant Job? Jesus is helping the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the lawyers be prepared for what he's about to do deliberately and intentionally. He knew that if he healed this man, it would get under their skin. Does Jesus fail to do what's right? Even though he knows it's going to make mere mortals become uncomfortable? No. Because Jesus' purpose was to do the will of his Father, not to submit to the fear of man. They remained silent, verse 4. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Not much is recorded there about laying on of hands or did Jesus speak to the issue? Jesus had a multiple series of tools he could have used. Some one instance, he puts mud on somebody's eyes after spitting in the dirt, making a paste. Other times he speaks. Other times he lays hands on the individual. Whatever the case might be, Jesus had a multiple means that he could have used, a number of tools in his toolbox that he could have used But the source is the same. It's the power of God. It's Jesus doing the healing. And the man is sent on his way. He said to them, which of you having a son or a donkey? Some translations say donkey. And you say to yourself, well, which is it? Sometimes there's not much of a difference between a son and a donkey. I know that. You know, there are instances in the scripture where you see right here, Some manuscripts have donkey. Most manuscripts have son. But which is it? Is the Bible reliable or not? How do we know if something's been changed or not? Listen, don't get yourself all in a tizzy. Sit down and relax. Take a deep breath. There's no differences in doctrine here. The principle is the same. You might have a change in whether it's a donkey or a son, but does either of those translations change the theological significance of what's happening here? No, it doesn't. So don't get yourself all in a fluster about how do I know if the Bible's true and I don't know. Listen, it's amazing how accurate the translations are that we have and that even in the variances of the different manuscripts that we have, the tens of thousands that we have, the manuscripts and manuscript portions, we would have expected to see much greater difference, much greater variance over decades and centuries and different geographical regions of the, of the world. We would have expected if it was merely a book written by men, we would expect there to be many more differences. 
and doctrinal discrepancies, but we don't see that. Jesus says, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And then Jesus launches into a story to illustrate the real problem that they had. See, the problem that these guys had was self-exaltation. Don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus really cares about where you sit at a wedding banquet. That's not what this is about. See, where you might sit at a wedding banquet is a symptom of what's really happening in your heart of hearts and your mind, your modus operandi, the way you operate, the way you live, the way you think about yourself. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. See, what you think about yourself is significant because it's a reflection of what you think about God. How you live your life, how I live my life, the choices that you make, the choices that I make are a mirror. They are reflecting to you, to family, to friends, to to everyone, but first and foremost to God. Your choices are a reflection to God, what you really believe about yourself and ultimately what you really believe about him. The parable is this, verse 7, he went to those who were invited and he noticed how they chose the places of honor. They chose the places of honor. Nothing happens by accident. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. You get the idea of what Jesus is saying. Choose the lowest position of honor It's better to choose a position that's not honorable and be invited to have a position and a seat of honor than to start in a position of honor and then end up having to be embarrassed and being told, hey, you know what, come away from there for a moment. You're in the wrong seat. You ever sat in the wrong seat? Have you ever sat in somebody else's seat? I see some of you sitting in different places today than you usually sit, and it's throwing me off. You don't want to sit in a seat that belongs to somebody else and then have somebody who's in charge of the whole shebang come up and say, excuse me, as you turn red in the face and the blood drains from the rest of your extremities, uh, you're sitting in the wrong seat. Go sit in that seat in the back, the seat in the side. These seats right here in the front are for people who want to be by the wedding party those closest to them. Place of honor, place of intimacy. And then Jesus summarizes the parable in verse 11, Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice that God is no respecter of persons. This applies to everyone. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Is Jesus really concerned about a wedding banquet and where you sit at in a wedding banquet? Or is he not really concerned with how you go through life? Isn't Jesus really teaching about how you and I, we go through the course of life 
what we think about ourselves, what we think about God that will lead us to decisions, choices that we make? Isn't life a series of choices that we make that either revolve around self-exaltation or the exaltation of God? Isn't that really what it all boils down to? There are really only two types of people in life. You are one of them, and so am I. There are only two types of people, and there only and always will be two types of people. You are one of them. Which are you? On one hand, there are those who exalt themselves and end up being humbled by God. That's the first type. Second type of person is somebody who humbles themselves. Notice the personal responsibility that each of us has, has in this. The person who humbles themselves and then is exalted by God. Which are you? Life is a series of choices that we make that reflect whether or not we are exalting ourself or exalting God. This is true in your marriage. This is true at the workplace. This is true in your family relationships and my family relationships. There is nothing that we choose in life that doesn't eventually come back around to who is in the driver's seat, who's on the throne. You're either exalting yourself, I'm either exalting myself, or you are exalting God, I'm exalting God. There's no in-between. Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting, the word exalt. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 14. We're all familiar with John 3, 16. This is John 3, 14. Look with me at this potent verse of Scripture, and then we're going to go to Numbers chapter 21, but we'll get to Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 in just a moment. Let's look at this. As Moses lifted up, that's the same word that's used here, exalt. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be exalted or lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's the same word that's used here in Luke 14, 11. Whoever exalts himself, whoever lifts himself up will be brought down, will be humbled. And here in John 3, 14, as Moses lifted lifted up the serpent in the desert. Where's that from? Look with me at Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21, beginning in verse 4, here's the instance that's being referred to in John 3, 14. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. This is not the first time that the people have become impatient. We hold on to our seat. We know that something's on the horizon here. Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Interesting that the people are speaking up against God and against God's leader, Moses. 
unfortunately, as much as I hate this, it's the truth. God uses mere mortals as leaders to join him, to partner with him, to accomplish his plan and his purpose. And here it is synonymous to raise their voices and to be impatient with God and to raise their voices and to be impatient with Moses. They are intertwined. That's what a good spiritual leader does. He follows God so closely, follows God so closely that to criticize the leader as he follows God is synonymous with criticizing God. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Can I get an amen for that? Doesn't that sound scary? You know, in the book of Titus chapter 1, Paul tells Titus, he says, the reason I left you on Crete was to finish what was started and to appoint elders in every town. What is that all about? You, Paul, are telling another man, Titus, to appoint elders? That sounds dangerous to me. That doesn't sound like a democracy. That doesn't sound at all like we're getting to have a vote in the matter. It sounds like what it is. One guy telling another, one guy to appoint spiritual leaders in every town who would do what? Advance the kingdom agenda of God. That is scary stuff. I'm not just saying that. That is true. That is truly scary because that could open up Pandora's box for spiritual abuse spiritual neglect but you know what that's the way God does it find an instance where God is moving where he doesn't raise up a leader or leaders to accomplish his purpose you don't see that in the Bible the people were impatient with God they were impatient with Moses because he was following God and they grumbled. That's what happened. A good, godly leader has a healthy dose of the fear of God coursing through their veins. Just because we start well doesn't mean we will finish well. Do you hear that? Just because we start well doesn't mean we'll finish well. Good, you're following Jesus. Good, God is using you for his plan and his purpose. He's doing that today. Make sure he's still doing that tomorrow. Make sure you're still doing that tomorrow. You are not indispensable. I am not indispensable. No one is indispensable to God. We are all, in fact, quite dispensable. It is the grace and undeserved favor of God that enables any one of us or any group of us to be used by God to accomplish his purpose and advance his kingdom. Do not take it lightly. If God has called you as a follower of Jesus Christ, other people will follow you. Make sure you're following God so closely that to follow you is indeed synonymous with following God. Scary, yes. Biblical, yes. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Now look at how the Lord deals with this in Numbers chapter 21. Verse 5, the people spoke against God and Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Who provided the food? God. They were loathing what God 
provided for them, mocking, angry, critical of what God provided for them. Aren't you glad that you're not like that ever? You never criticize God for the car that he gave you? Never criticize God for the house he gave you? Not good enough. See how quickly we begin to delight ourselves in what God has provided rather than God who provides. Verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. They recognize the idea of rebelling spiritually. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, exalt it. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and exalted it on a pole, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's what John 3.14 is referring to, that whole instance. Get into the whole debate about why a serpent and all that debate some other day, but the point is that that's the idea of being exalted and lifted up. And when Jesus says in Luke 14, 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, that's what it's referring to. This idea of lifting up and exalting in a high place. And notice the idea of being humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Look with me at Matthew eleven twenty nine, a passage, a verse of Scripture many of us are familiar with, but it's the same word that's used here in regard to humbled or being humble. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. Learn from me, for I am humble. I'm gentle and lowly. That's what it's translated as here. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, the example for us of humility, the example of what it means to be gentle and lowly. It's the same word that's used here. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself, whoever intentionally makes the choice to not exalt himself, will be exalted by God. What does that mean to be exalted by God? Lifted up by God. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6, James 4, 6, and again in verse 10, the idea of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up in due time. It means to be put in a position of influence so that you can more strategically advance the glory of God and his agenda. That's what it means to be exalted. See, we don't humble ourselves so then God can exalt us so that we can start drawing people to our own attention and drawing people to ourselves. God exalts us so that we can continue to lift up the name of Jesus, advance the agenda of Jesus. But it's interesting that Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, there are three ways that we exalt ourselves. Three ways. Actually, there are many, many more, but I just want to focus on three. And if you focus on these three, your life will change dramatically as well. Three ways that we exalt ourselves. Number one, you ready? We read the Bible, but we forget to put it into action. 
We read the Bible as if it's for somebody else, as if it's just merely something that we're to get educated with. And we forget to see that the Bible is God's book for personal transformation. You start reading the Bible that way, you're on your way to being a Pharisee. Pharisees were very well educated, knew the Old Testament inside and out, had it memorized. Was that good enough for them? No. They were still exalting themselves. Here was Jesus in their midst, performing a healing in their midst, and they were missing Jesus all along. Just because you know a lot of the Bible doesn't mean you will see Jesus. Jesus is moving all around all the time. Jesus is moving all around all the time. Listen, Jesus is moving all around all the time. You can find him everywhere, every day, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. But if you are just reading the Bible for educational purposes, all you will know is about history, about what God did in other people's lives, and you won't be applying it for your own life. The problem with the Pharisees is that they merely read the Old Testament. They merely read the Scriptures. They merely memorized the Scriptures. They merely familiarized themselves with the Word of God. They were in love with the Word of God, and even that's somewhat debatable, but they had fallen out of love with the God of His Word. One of the key ways that you can begin to exalt yourself, don't deceive yourself, Don't miss this. One of the key ways that you can begin to exalt yourself is by merely reading the Bible for information, merely reading the Bible for education. You and I have got to read the Bible and put it into action. You've got to look for this theme in the Bible, one of the biggest themes in all of the Bible. Huge. It's there again and again. I can't get away from it. Believe me, I try. I try to get away from it. I can't. I have given up. I have surrendered to the Lord. I have given up. And I see this theme on every page of the Bible, and you should too. When you see this theme in the Bible, and you begin to apply it in your own life, things in your life will change. Things in your marriage will change. Things on the job will change. Things in your neighborhood will change. I would go so far as to say things in this country would change. Things in this country will change. What it is that I see in the Bible is what you should see in the Bible. It's what we see in the Bible right here. We see it again and again and again and again. It is the teaching, the centrality, the importance of humility. He who exalts himself will be humbled by God. Human exaltation goes nowhere. You lift yourself up socially. You lift yourself up financially. You lift yourself up on social media. Who cares about where you're getting this, that, and the other. Who cares on Twitter? Listen, Twitter and Facebook, in my opinion, should be used to exalt the living and the true God who gave us that technology to draw people to Him. If I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. We don't have time to give a, a, a care. I almost missed it right there. Almost lost my sanctification. Gee whiz. We got better things to do with our time than to follow people on Twitter and Facebook who are exalting themselves. You want to exalt yourself humanly? Go right ahead, keep doing it. And eventually, God will humble you. 
See, this teaching of humility is throughout the Bible. We miss it again and again. Nine out of ten problems in marriage would be solved with a little bit more humility. In fact, nine out of ten marital problems, do I have your attention yet, are caused. Nine out of ten problems in marriage are due to a lack of humility on the part of one or both partners. Wow. In fact, nine out of ten relational problems, nine out of ten work-related problems, nine out of ten social problems are due to a lack of humility on somebody's part. You think it's a coincidence that the Bible says so much about humility? He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. There are only two types of people. One is the person who exalts himself and eventually will be humbled by God. The other one humbles themselves and is exalted by God, given more opportunity to draw people to the feet of Jesus, more opportunity to point people to Jesus, more opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. Whose kingdom do you want to advance anyway? Would you please settle that issue, Christ follower? How serious do you want to be about advancing the only kingdom that will endure forever? How serious do we want to be? See, the sum is the whole of the parts. When I say this is a church of local, regional, national, international impact, that comes as an overflow of you. And I do mean you getting serious about humbling yourself so that God might exalt you. Because if you humble yourself and God begins to exalt you, and we got a couple of hundred people who want to do that, watch out York, Pennsylvania. God gets a hold of you and you humble yourself and God begins to exalt you. Watch out Pennsylvania. Watch out Northeast United States of America. Watch out America. Watch out world. Here we come. The army of God, not fighting with the weapons of the world, but with the weapons that God has given us. And one of those chief weapons is humility. You've got to choose it. I've got to choose it. God will not choose it for you, but he will help you learn it. One of the reasons we, one of the ways, one of the ways that we exalt ourselves is when we merely read this Bible and we don't look for humility in this Bible and we don't seek ways to put the Bible into practice. Number two, another thing that we do that creates self-exaltation we don't look for God to be speaking to us in the crisis of our lives and in the criticism of our lives. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that the crisis that you're going through now, the crisis that you went through that you might have wasted, the crisis that's coming in the future in your life, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we do live outside of Eden. There's more difficulty coming. All of those things are there by design because God is using them to formulate your character, but you've got to be paying attention. One of the ways we exalt ourselves is by not looking for what God is saying in the crisis of your life, in the criticism of your life. You know, if you are being criticized, if you are going through a crisis, if you're not open to correction, you're opening yourself up to more correction. 
Do you understand how important that is? If you're not open to correction, looking for what God is trying to say in your life, if you're not open to correction, you're opening yourself up for more correction. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15, verse 10. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Oh, my goodness. Sounds pretty serious to me. Look at verse 32, Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. See, it's a smart thing. You want to show your intelligence? Accept criticism. Accept what God is trying to teach you in your life through the circumstances. Don't waste your crisis. Don't waste correction. All around you every day, all day long, God is speaking to you, but you've got to listen. When you don't listen, when I don't listen, you're exalting yourself instead of the Lord Look at Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The fear of the Lord, this is something that we don't hear about much. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Finally, look with me at Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Isn't this another way of what Jesus says so succinctly in Luke 14, 11. Everybody who exalts himself will be humbled. And yet whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We exalt ourselves and we become the kind of person that's not safe, that we shouldn't become when we stop seeing everything that's happening in life as God's means of speaking to us, of changing us, of transforming us, crisis, criticism, correction. There will be more coming. It's coming in this nation because even though God is speaking to us, look at it historically in the Bible. When a nation does not listen to the warning shots that God is firing, God just speaks more loudly. That's true at a national level. It's also true at a personal level. And thirdly, there's a third way, third and final way that we choose self-exaltation over humility, over promoting Jesus. Living for Jesus, living for God. If you look at the book of Hebrews chapter 6, we'll find it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt." For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. 
But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One of the ways that we choose to exalt ourselves rather than humble ourselves is when we fail to see all that is happening in the course of life as God's way of maturing us. That God is in the process of maturing you. He's in the process of maturing me. That's what he's doing. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, let's leave the elementary things and go deeper. Everything in life is happening in your life, and I do mean your life. I know it's happening in mine to get you and to get me, to get God's people to go deeper and higher in their walks with God. We are to leave the elementary teachings and to go deeper and higher in Jesus so that we bear fruit that gives glory and honor to God. Three ways that we can exalt ourselves, that's the wrong way to live. When we read the Bible and we don't put it into action, when we don't see humility as being an ongoing, permeating theme throughout the whole Bible, and God wants you to understand, he wants me to understand that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Secondly, when we don't see crisis, difficulty, and hardship, criticism, correction, and heed it. We're choosing to walk in self-exaltation, to lift ourselves up instead of humbling ourselves. And when we resist God's correction, we open ourselves up for more. And thirdly, we exalt ourselves. We choose self-exaltation instead of humility whenever and every time we fail to see everything in the course of life being there by design to get us to go deeper and higher in our walks with God. Two types of people, not three, two, those who exalt themselves and get humbled by God or those who humble themselves and are exalted. Which one are you? You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.